In the name of the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today, actually, we will study uh, a letter of St. Paul. It's only one chapter. It's a beautiful letter. It's a letter to Philemon, or we call it in Arabic, Philemon. Okay? And it's a letter that St. Paul sent while he was in the prison. And it's just only one page, but it's, it's only one chapter, but it's really beautiful. Just kind of a quick review, Keda, to just remember a few things about St. Paul. So he said that St. Paul went through three missions to preach. And we know that his center where he starts his preaching and ends his preaching is always Antioch. Antioch is a church in Turkey, or like the center is in Turkey. So he would start his mission, go around in certain areas, and go back to Turkey. So the first mission, he just went to Syria and Antioch and Cyprus and came back to Antioch. And at that time, he had Barnabas with him. The second mission, he went to Syria, Antioch, but he also went to Greece. The third mission, Syria, Antioch, Asia Minor, and Greece. And then after the third mission, he was put in prison. And then he was put in prison in Jerusalem. Then they took him to Rome. And in Rome, he was released for two years. After and he was in prison initially, and then he was released for two years. Then they put him again in prison, and then they killed him. So when we look in the New Testament, we know that St. Paul wrote 14 letters. 13 of them he introduced himself. He said, this is Paul writing a letter. Hebrews is the only one that he did not define his name. So just to remind ourselves, so the first mission, he did not send any letters whatsoever. Okay? The second mission, he sent two letters, first Thessalonica, second Thessalonica, because people, we are, were concerned because there was a lot of tribulation, there was a lot of suffering, there was a lot of persecution, so he was talking to them about God, and when people started getting lazy, he told them, don't get lazy. As people were preparing for second coming, because they thought God was coming too soon, they started getting lazy. So second Thessalonica, Paul told them, don't be lazy. During his third mission, he wrote, different letters for churches that had problems. And in those were Romans, Galatians, 1st Corinth, 1st Corinth, and 2nd Corinth, okay? After third mission, we said he was in Rome for two years in prison, and this is when he wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, the, the book we're gonna read. Now he was freed, when he was freed, he wrote 1st Timothy, Titus, Hebrew, and then the second time when he was in prison, he wrote his final letter, 2nd Timothy, when he said, I fought the good fight. So just to help us to really wrap things really quickly in our head, first mission, he didn't really write anything. Second mission, he wrote two letters. Third mission, four. First prison, four. And then when he came out, three and then one. Okay? Now, Paul in the prison, when he was Paul in, in, in the prison in Rome, he was not kept under harsh confinement. Okay? They called it Castudia Libra in Italy, which means that he had liberal detention. It means he had a house, he was under house arrest kind of, and people can visit him. He was a Roman citizen, so he gets treated with some leverage. So in Rome, that's why he's able to write letters, he, he's able to meet people, because he was a Roman citizen, so he had that, uh, that, that kind of uh, blessing. Now, let's get a think about what happened with the story of Philemon. So I'm gonna tell you the story, and then when we read the Bible, I think it would help us once we know the Philemon. So Philemon is a very holy man who lives in Colossian. And he has a nice family. 
and a lot of people would gather in his house to pray. So in the old days, in the first century, they did not have churches, so they would meet in people's houses to pray. So Philemon's house was one of those homes where they met in and prayed. Now Philemon had a slave, and that slave was called Anosimus. Anosimus, it seems like he stole from his master and he ran away. He stole from Philemon and he ran away. Obviously, that makes Anosimus under legal obligation to Philemon. Okay? Now, when Anosimus fled, it seems that he met St. Paul in prison. When St. Paul was in prison in Rome, he met Anosimus. And he talked to him and he actually converted him to Christianity and he became a follower of God. Alright, so far you're following? Okay. Now, St. Paul has a dilemma. What is the dilemma? Now he has Anesimus with him and he wants him to serve with him and he loves him. But Anesimus is a runaway slave from his master. So if, if St. Paul keeps Anesimus with him, it means that he's keeping him without his master's permission. And that's not ethical. So he's sending this letter to Philemon to tell him, please allow Anesimus, allow Anesimus to be accepted into your house or allow him to come back to serve with me. That's the whole letter is about. Okay? Now, if you think about this letter, you kind of think about a couple of ideas that are so beautiful. Number one, when St. Paul is sending the letter with Anesimus to go to, uh, to Philemon, Philemon, uh, 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 Anesimus agreed. Can you imagine, like, I am a runaway slave, and now I'm going to Philemon. Philemon can do whatever he wants to do with me. But I'm still going to go. It's almost like St. Paul did not only preach to convert him to Christianity, but he almost prepared him to be a martyr. He told him, what's the worst going to happen? He's going to kill you. He's going to put you in prison. For the sake of the right thing, you should do it. Such a very risky situation. If Philemon is having a bad day, he could be like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat up this guy. I'm going to take him to court. Now, you might ask me a question. So why are we studying this book? Like this book is a, is a, a slave who ran away. And then St. Paul is just kind of sending a letter saying, you know what, accept him. But this book is helpful on two different levels. Number one, this book reminds us of us. We're all anesimus. We all stole the glory of God. We all lied. We all ran away from God. And now we have our Lord Jesus Christ who brought us back to the Father. And he said, just like St. Paul said, he said, I am willing to pay all your debts. So when I'm reading this letter, I am the slave who ran away. And when St. Paul restores him, you will see, he doesn't restore him as a slave. He restores him as a brother in Christ. The second thing that's also important is you will see the concept of personal service. And St. Paul is busy and he's in prison he has many people under him. But he's concerned with one soul. 
and he's willing to sit and write a letter to make the soul go back to his master and do, the, do things the right way. That soul is precious to him. And that should help us to understand how the most effective service is the personal service. I want you guys, as you envision the churches in the first century, I don't want you to think of St. Mary. Because the churches in the first century were smaller churches. It's like a house with probably less than 20, 30, 40 families. Okay, so it's much smaller and people know each other very well and they are interconnected. Okay? Now, we'll look a little bit about the structure of the book and then we'll, we'll start kind of, uh, going through the book. So the structure of the book is a typical letter in the antiquity. What's the typical letter in antiquity? Usually, they will have a salutation, like who's the sender, who's the recipient, and then you will have some sort of thanksgiving, the body, there's ethical exhortation, and then there's closing. You wish him peace, you're his greeting, there's a kiss, apostolic command, and so on. So when you look at the uh, Fleeman, you will see there is greeting from verse 1 to verse 3. From verse 4 to verse 7, he's giving thanks to God for Fleeman's liberty and freedom. From 8 to 4, his, Paul is asking for his request. This is the body of the letter. From 15 to 20, he is reinforcing his request. And then from 20 to 21, he's closing with a promise to visit. And it's important to keep that in mind because these structures, you will see it in all the letters of St. Paul. There is a greeting, there is thanks to God, there is a body, there is an instruction or sometimes reinforcement of the message, and then there is closing. And the reinforcement of the message comes usually in a different way than the message itself. And we'll see here. Okay? So let's look at the very first verse. It says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Fleeman, our beloved friend and fellow laborer. Here, St. Paul is defining himself as a prisoner of Christ. As a prisoner of Christ. Not a prisoner of Caesar, even though Caesar is the one who kept him in prison. But he's doing this to soften the heart of Fleeman. Paul said, I gave up my right to serve God. And Fleeman, eventually I want you to give up your right over an, uh, an Onesimus. He's almost leading by example. Okay? Uh, St. Paul entered the prison twice in Rome. The first time Timothy, Timothy was with him. So most, like this, most likely this is the first time because Timothy is next to him. What St. Paul is saying, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. St. Paul, remember I told you before that every letter he writes, the title he uses for himself is related to the letter. He will use a servant, a bond servant, a prisoner. Now this is very befitting for this letter. Why? Because he's asking, he's vouching for somebody who could be in prison because of his crime. Okay? And he's saying here, regardless of all the problems I am in, Paul, I am bound to a relationship with God. And we all have to feel this. I am imprisoned to Christ. What does it mean I'm imprisoned to Christ? That even though I have a lot of goals in life that I want to succeed, but I am present to Christ. I cannot cheat. 
in my relationships, in my ethical conducts, I am imprisoned to God, not to my dreams, not to my hopes, not to peer pressure. Not at all. Okay? And here we see here St. Paul, as we see, he likes to give credit to his children. So Timothy is considered to be his child, his, his son, his adopted son. But he says, my brother. He calls him a brother. And I'll tell you guys something important to keep. That in heaven, the main relationships we will keep is a relationship of brotherhood and a relationship of fatherhood to God. A lot of other relationships will disappear. Like there will be no children and there will be no daughters. It's all brotherhood okay, and fatherhood. That's why our Lord said, said to the Sadiqis, he told them in heaven they do not marry or remarry. They live a life like the angels of God in heaven. Okay? One of the things that's so beautiful about this greeting is that St. Paul, he's highlighting his chains as if his imprisonment gives him credibility. As if his imprisonment gives him credibility. He's not saying Paul, the apostle, that you have to listen to him. He's saying my chains, my relationship, my bond, the sacrifice that I gave to my life for Christ. That's what gives me credibility. Not the authority. Doesn't, being a servant doesn't give me credibility. Running after the kids and checking on them and carrying their pain gives me credibility. And you also see that Paul did not mention Anasimus at the beginning. He wanted to bring it gradual. And that's a sort of wisdom. Because if he puts his name in the beginning, probably Anasimus is carrying the litter. If he puts his name at the, lit at the beginning, it would be shocking. So he wanted to gradually send him the message. And we'll see how, how he took him step by step. Philemon, as we said before, he lived in Colossian. And the word Philemon, or Philean means love, coming from the word philo, or kindly, or efficient. Or efficient. So Philemon is somebody who is worthy of love. And he was a leader of the church. And he had a strong relationship with Paul, as we said, and he was actually one of Paul's converts. St. Paul is saying, verse 2, to the beloved Athea and Archippus, our fellow soldiers, and to the church in your house. Athea is the wife of Philemon. And Archippus is his son. So St. Paul is sending greeting to his wife, to his son. And he's also sending greeting to all the people in the house that come to the house. And remember I told you that his house was a church. So it means people on the weekends, instead of coming to St. Mary, they will go to his house to pray. And it's important because... When Anasimus goes back to the household, every single person in the house has to be in agreement, in alignment. That's why St. Paul wants this letter to be read to the whole church. You guys understand? Imagine Kida, if we have somebody that was in the church, who was a drug addict, he took a hammer and broke the glass of the church, and he ran away to another, another country. And then all of a sudden, we get a letter from the Pope saying, please accept him 
and ordain him as a bishop. And this letter must be read in front of everybody. Paul is associating himself with somebody who's criminal. Okay? And obviously, the, the, when we say to the church in, you, in your house, we're not just talking about it in a sense of the gathering place where people used to meet on Sundays. Our homes should be churches. And what it means, our homes should be churches. Like you walk around in the church here, you see icons. My, ch my house should have a lot of icons. When I walk into the church, there's a lot of places to pray. My house should have a lot of places to pray. My place of living is consecrated because God is there. It's actually one of the hermits right before he departs to heaven. He said this prayer. He told God, I thank you for you have lived in this cave. He was living in a cave. And you allowed me to come and live with you in this cave until the last breath of my life. Your house is not your house. It's a place where God is residing. And he's inviting me to come sit with him. I want to feel that my house is God's. This God's. I would love for all of us to feel that our homes are churches. One of the worst things that we could bring to our homes is the garbage of the world. The wrong parties, the, the wrong drinking, the wrong images, the wrong pictures. I want to make that place holy. I want to make that place holy. Verse 3, he tells him, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Obviously the word grace is anything that we get from God that we don't deserve. And the word peace remembers us of the work of reconciliation that God did. So he's using the two things that would make Fleeman feel how much he's indebted to God. Everything we do in life requires grace from God. Even our breath requires grace from God. He's telling him, look, the grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, in Greek, there's two different words for master. There is doulos and kyrios. That's why when we say kyrialaison, we say kyrialaison, kyrios. Lord, have mercy. The lordship of God is different than the lordship of the world. Okay? The lordship of the Lord implies a slavery that is almost in a lot of times involuntarily. Some cases they are voluntary, but most of the times involuntary. The, the slavery to God is a voluntarily bond of love. Okay? Now, St. Paul is going to start thanking God and talks about Philemon's love and faith. He said, I thank my God making mention of you always in my prayer. I thank God making mention of you always in my prayer. And he is in, he's miserable in the prison, 
But he starts by thanking God. And all his letters, by the way, St. Paul starts by thanking God, except one letter, the letter to Galatians, because he was very angry with them. All the other letters, St. Paul starts by thanking God. I am thankful for you. Sometimes it's important for us when we pray and offer thanks to God to be more detail-oriented. Like, thank you for my parents is one thing, but I thank you, Lord, for you have sent me parents who love you, who are devoted to you, who encourage me to come to church. When I make my thanksgiving more specific, it will fill my heart with joy. And that's why a lot of times we, th we say we thank God, but we don't thank him enough. Because all our things, most of our things are very general and they're very quick. But if I stand and specifically start mentioning the things, it will make a big difference. I love, the, I love when St. Paul says, I thank my God. There's that personal bond for my sake. One of the things too here you will see that when he is praying in prison, he's not only praying for those who are suffering, he's also praying for those who are doing good. And praying for those who are following Christ. And that's why, by the way, his pain in the prison was not that much. Because his prayer is not self-centered. His prayer is focused on all the people and how are they doing and how are they enjoying the relationship with God. Verse 5, it says, Hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. There's probably somebody, maybe Epaphras. He was in the church of Colossians. His name is going to come later. He probably went back to Paul and told him the news of Philemon and his family. And can you imagine with me like, these are, consider them two priests. And one priest is going to report to the bishop and tells him, look, Philemon is the best priest ever. He's so good. He does this and does this and does this. Can we, can we feel that we have the same spirit? Can I go to my head servant and start speaking very highly of my co-servants? Most of the conversations we spread around is a conversation of negativity and we become blinded to what's good we become blinded to what's good so here he's telling him I think I think thank God for hearing of your love and your faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and all the saints and all the saints he's fulfilling the commandments toward God and all the saints and I love you will see that when Paul refers to people in the early church he always calls them saints because there is no other choice. You walk with God, you're a saint. You're not walking in the whole in the path of holiness, you're away from God. That's why we say sainthood is very close. It's not far. He said, For we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. So Paul is happy of his faith, but he's saying something, told him because of the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. What does the word refreshed mean? 
It means that uh, Fleeman most likely have been making a lot of donations and financial help to the people who are in need. That's what refreshment means. So his faith, he's thanking God for his faith and his love, but faith is an action that he did. He gave those who are in need. Give those who are in need. And that's extremely important for us. Because a lot of times people say, my faith, I don't believe. Faith is an action. It is very hard. I have never seen it yet. Maybe it exists. I have not seen it. Where somebody's practicing a relationship with God. Practicing the commandments. And says, I lost my faith. Usually happens when they are far away, when there's no practice, when there's no action. If I want to have faith in God, I must take actions on the commandments of God. Because that's when I feel His presence. Now from verse 8, He's going to start pleading for Anasimus. What is He going to say? Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting... So what St. Paul is telling him, look, I could be very courageous and I have the authority as an apostle, as a bishop, to tell you what to do. He's telling him, therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting. He is as a bishop, he can come and tell him a command. He has authority. And moreover, it's not only he has the authority, he's not telling Fleeman anything, anything bad to do. He's telling him the proper things to do. He's telling him the proper way, the proper things to do. But Paul does not want to follow the way of orders and commandments. And we're going to see why he doesn't want to use this method with Fleeman. Yet, for love's sake, I rather to appeal to you, being such a one as Paul the aged and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. So he's telling him, I don't want to order you as an apostle. Tab, what, do you, what are you going to talk to me as? He told him, I want to talk to you as somebody who's old. Paul at that time was about 60 years old. And somebody who's in prison. He's almost telling him, yani, have pity on me. Have pity on my age. Have pity on my condition. Can you imagine you're going to somebody whom you have authority over and you're coming almost under his feet and tell him, please, look how old I am. Look how humiliated I am. And the path of humility is the best path forward. If I'm working on a project and I'm ordering and commanding people against their will. The project might, 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 might be completed, but I will make a lot of enemies, and I will not reflect the image of God. Okay? Here tell him, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten 
while I am in chains. I appeal to you for my own child. I appeal to you from a marriage. He's not telling him, look, accept Anasmus because he's a nice guy. He's really funny. He's cool. He's telling him he's my own child. I labored. He became my son. He became my son. Who once, for verse 11, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to, to, you, and me, to, to you and me. The word anasimus actually means useful or profitable. And that was a very common name for slaves because they named them hoping that they will be useful. Remember I was telling you in the Old Testament, names means character. So when I, you want to have a slave, you want to name him a character that he's useful, he's helpful. For Paul is telling him, is telling him, look, I'm not denying his past. His past is not good. But I want to focus on the present. Onesimus would be profitable to Fleeman. And not only profitable to Fleeman, but also profitable to Paul. We'll see how he could be profitable to Paul, but if Philemon, for example, decided to bring him back to Paul to do the services that Philemon would like to do for the sake of Paul, that would be a way of making him profitable to him. And by the way, Anesimus became a bishop in the month, of, in, and he was martyred in the month of Amshir. He's one of the, the Synexerium reading we read. He says, I'm sending him back. You therefore receive him that is my own heart. I am sending him back, and as I'm sending him back to you, I am tearing my heart apart. The bond between me and Onesimus is so strong. I am sending part of myself. When I was reading this passage, I was asking myself, do I feel the same way about the people I serve? I am sending part of my heart. This is what Paul is talking about, somebody he, he served. See the amount of care that he has for him? It's unbelievable. Whom I wished to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. Paul wanted to keep Onesimus, but he could not keep him without Philemon's permission. Not only because, not only because maybe he's, he'd be breaking some sort of law, but it will be a breach of their friendship and their Christian fellowship. There's a code of ethics that I have to follow. Whenever I make a certain decision, I have to consult my spouse or my parents. If I know my co-servants is involved in a project, I cannot just step over their foot and just disregard them. If I have some sort of authority or knowledge, I cannot abuse it for my own personal gain. Like for example, Masalan, I would know that two people don't like each other. So some people might take advantage of that and start abusing the situation. St. Paul is saying, I cannot do this because there is friendship between us. Friendship between us. But without your consent, 
verse 14, I, want, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntarily. Look at this beautiful verse. St. Paul is telling him, the best way of service is for you to offer to God willingly. I cannot force you. I want you to decide what is good for you. I'll tell you guys something. St. Paul could have done something different. He could have kept Anesimus with him and he could have sent a letter to Fleeman. And tell him, by the way, I have Anesimus with here. He's a nice guy. I like him. I want you to forgive him. He's going to be working with me. Or he could tell him, would you allow me to keep him? But then at this point, Fleeman has very little choice. Paul actually went all out. He sent him all the way with the litter. So all the decision is in the hand of Fleeman. That is the Christian manners. These are the Christian ethics. Even though it's clearly against the wishes of Paul. But when he's even asking for, for a favor or even something that you can argue it belongs to him, he still did it in the right way. And that's why there's always a balance between getting tasks done and communicating with people. Because sometimes some people are very task-oriented that they can destroy the feelings of the people that you're working with. And when you are serving or working, there's that balance where I want to get a task done, but also I want to make sure I'm respectful to the people I'm working with. All what it takes is some good communication. All right? Now, from verse 15, he's going to start reinforcing the request. He says, For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, but you might receive him forever. Look at this beautiful verse. What is Paul telling him? Telling him, Flee, uh, uh, Onesimus, yes, he ran away from you. But maybe he ran away from you, and that was part of the God's plan. Because Onesimus is a slave, Eventually, he could either leave when he finishes his time, somebody could redeem him, they could resell him, or he could die. And that would be the end of relationship between Anasimus and Philemon. But what Paul is telling him, he's saying that maybe when he ran away, God used this, this was in God's plan, so he can become Christian. And when he becomes Christian, he's telling him what? You might receive him forever. If you look around the people around you in the church here, they are with you forever. On earth and in heaven. And this is extremely important. This is extremely important. Here he's telling him, I thank God that he's now a new member in Christ. And you will have to start a new relationship with him. That's why verse 16 below, no longer a slave but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in flesh and in the Lord. He's telling him, now he is more than a slave to you. He is a brother to you. The criminal, the runaway slave, is now a brother to Philemon. Paul is almost kind of 
maybe he's talking on a spiritual level, but he's also talking on a social level that this master-slave relationship does not work in Christianity. He's no longer a slave, but he is a brother. Okay? And here he's telling him, if I would have directed you to free him, there will be no virtue. You have no virtue. But because you will do these things willingly. Okay? Philemon will do these things willingly. Now, verse 17 says, If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. And what Paul is telling him, receive Onesimus as you would receive me. Imagine kid after Onesimus ran away as a slave. Yeah, when he comes back, Philemon can give him kid one dirty look. You know, they can just kind of, mm, well, accept you, okay, come back. All right, yeah, yeah, out of my own compassion, kid, I let these things go. Paul is telling him, don't do any of this stuff. You accept him as you would accept Paul himself. From the door, you treat him as you are treating Christ himself. And that's the, the teaching of Paul. You'll see it even in Romans 15, 7. Therefore, receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. To the glory of God. That's why I want to just maybe talk about something, maybe a side note, but keep it in mind. In the New Testament scripture, you will you'll see two kind of systems. In Christianity, there is no slave-master relationship. Now, when one of the, when a master is not Christian, the commandments were telling, were telling the slave Christian to treat your master with respect. Okay? And if the master is Christian, the church, and the slave is not Christian, the church would tell him to treat them with compassion and love as they are your brothers. So what is the church doing, what the New Testament doing, is balancing between the right relation that God wants us to have in society, but also not in a way trying to disturb the political system. It's more of an inner transformation that should make me change. And when I change, the social system will change. Is that clear or not clear? Yes? Okay. Now it says, but if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. Paul is saying, look, yes, he might have taken money from you. And this is integral part to the reconciliation. Onesimus is in no position to make any promises. He's a runaway slave. He cannot make any promises. He cannot pay. He cannot guarantee anything. Paul is telling him, if there's anything, put it on my account. And look what happened in verse 19. He says, I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. So what's happening is, Paul, is he, is he writing the letter? Probably Timothy is writing for him. When it came to this verse, Paul told him, Timothy, give me the pen. I, Paul, am writing in my own hands. I will repay. I will be your co-signer. I will be your guarantor. Not to mention to you that you owe me even your, even your own self besides. And he's telling him, I will pay whatever he wants. Even though Philemon owns Paul him, his own salvation, his own self. 
But Paul, when he uses his, his pen and writes down, he's, he means what he's saying. He says, I will pay. I will take care of it. And by the way, this is a way sometime for us that could help us to solve problems. If two people are disputing, and I have the means to say, you know what, what are you disputing over? I'll take care of it. Sometimes that solves a big problem. Sometimes that solves a big problem. You might ask, well, how would Paul be able to pay? He's in prison. He has no money. But Paul knows throughout his service that he never was never in need. There's always whenever, remember we send letters to people to help the church in Jerusalem. He always has a lot of people that could support and help him and sponsor him when he needs to. So he's not worried about finding people to help. He's not worried about finding people to help. So he's making a promise. He's saying, look, I will take care of everything. I will take care of everything. Actually, um, I really love the word when he told him, put that on my account. I remember when uh, Abuna Lua Sadarus departed, the priest in his church, he gave the eulogy in his, in his funeral. And he said, the bishop in California told the Abuna, the young Abuna, his name is Abuna Perlus, he told him, how come you don't take any vacations or any times off? Because Abuna Lua gets always invited and he goes to serve in Egypt and he goes to serve here and he goes to serve here, so I cannot leave the church. Abuna Lua responded and told him, Sayyidna, we have one account. We have a joint account. It means when Abuna Lua is serving, the blessing of his service goes to that younger priest. They're one joint account. If money increases, they're all, they're all, all increasing. And that's important to know. That's important to know. They were all one account, one church. Somebody does a nice project, we all benefit. We all benefit. Verse 20, he says, Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. He's telling him, Paul is confident that Philemon will listen. And actually, uh, there's a nice story in the church history where uh, Ignatius, the bishop of Antioch, uses the same concept when he was talking to one of the bishops uh, called Philemon. He told him, may I always have profit from you if I am worthy. He used the same exact thing for him the same idea. But he's telling him, refresh my heart. It means, remember it's, uh, when I was telling you refresh, it almost means giving. Give. Give what I'm telling you. Refresh my heart. Make me happy. Okay? So, what is Paul is telling him, look, you've, we always have known you as a man of love and a man of faith. And now I'm giving you an opportunity to grow in your virtue even more. And that's important because the virtues we have, it's not, it's not only we stop there. God is constantly challenging us. I don't want to say the word challenging us, but teaching us to grow in our virtue. If you say, I forgive, see how far you can forgive. If you say, I have a, a kind heart, see how far is your heart kind. Okay? Because sometimes people say, oh, I have a nice heart. I have a kind, I'm a very kind person. I'm a very nice person. But 
And then after Bat, there's a whole long list of things that a nice person would usually allow to go. We have opportunities to grow in virtue. And when we grow in virtue, we refresh the heart of Paul. We refresh the heart of Christ. Okay? Now, verse 20 and 22, he's just promises, promising for a visit. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. He's telling him that I know Philemon, and I know that you will listen to me and do accept him and celebrate him and join him more than you can ever imagine. Think about this. Remember I was telling you at the beginning, this letter reminds us of our own self and what the work Christ have done in our life. That's what Jesus said. He took us from slavery. He did not restore us to slavery. He restored us to be heirs and children of God. And he took us to the Father and he said, they are united in me and you. He took us from a place to a place that we have, could not even cross our mind that we could ask for. That's what the main reason that the angel fell is because he wanted to be like God. God said, I will make you one with me. Something that blows our mind. You will do even more than I say. This is what Christ did with us. More than we can ever imagine. More than we can ever imagine. Here, Khalbalku, Paul, also same thing. I write to you. Again, he took, he takes his pen and he says, I write to you. This part of the verse, he's writing physically. Okay? He's telling him, I know your obedience. I'm writing to you to do more. This is emphasis of how much care St. Paul is taking to make sure Anasimus gets well treated. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. This is obviously a beautiful, a beautiful request. He's telling him, you know, I want to come and visit you. And maybe in it also there's a little bit more of, of you know, when you restore Anasimus, I will come and see how the church is as part of it also. That kind of um, tells him that in the future we'll meet and talk about what happened and how things are going. Okay? So, here it's important that we, we understand that Paul is want to go, but he's also making sure that he will, uh, Philemon will do his best truly. And here he's telling him, Paul is asking for his prayer. A man who's growing in virtue, a man who is at the near of the commandment, is a man that has a powerful prayer. Philemon at this moment, when he's taking the runaway slave who stole his money, and he ran away, now he's back. And he's fulfilling the commandments. He is, his prayer is so much, is so powerful. Because he's in probably a little bit of him is in so much pain. I have to accept this guy. Guys, I, I, I want to stop here before I, I finish the last two verses. Think about this. If, uh, if you have somebody who does like a contract job in your house. And he breaks your house. Or he steals money from your house. Would you ever hire him back? Imagine if Abuna writes a letter, be like, please hire him back. He's a very nice guy. Like, Abuna doesn't know what he's doing. It's exactly what's happening. You hire a contractor, he destroyed your house, and now you get a message from the priest or from the bishop telling you, please accept him and treat him very, very, very well. You don't know the damages I went through. 
because of this guy. And well, if I want to accept him, what about my wife? What about my children? What about the people that attend Sunday liturgy in my church, in my home? Would they feel comfortable bringing their wives and their families with a guy who steals and runs away? This is, this is, this is not just a simple request. This is a difficult request. This is a very difficult request. And then at the end, last few verses, just farewell. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you. That's what I was telling you earlier that most likely Epaphras was somebody from the church of Colossian. And you'll see his name in Colossian 4.10, where he mentions his name. He probably came back and told him all the news about Philemon and how him and his family were doing uh, very well. As also do Mark and Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. So most likely those people, also you will see them in Colossians 4, 10 to 14. All those people are people who are familiar with Paul and also familiar with the church in Colossians. Why is this actually, I, I want to just say something really important here. Some people, some recent scholars, they think that the church and the ancient time, they're almost not talking to each other. And that's yani, far away from the truth. And this is a good example here. There are people who are traveling and missionaries and people know them. And some people like Epaphras, he would go and give a report to Paul about what's happening. And Paul would write a letter. The Saint Paul wrote a letter to Rome before he even goes to Rome. So there's, the, the churches were connected and they were talking to each other. And that's important. Because if they're not connected, then anybody, people can, 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 can say lies. That's why, if you remember in the book of Acts, chapter 15, the Council of Jerusalem, when the council decreed the details, they told them, we're sending two people with you to be witness. They sent two people with who was sent, Paul and Barnabas, to be witness to what they were saying. So it was not haphazard, it was not random, they were very connected. And you'll see, remember even Paul, he says, I have to go meet the apostles in Pentecost. They're talking. There is interconnection between them. It's important to keep that in mind. Because that's why, would, that, that why it makes sense that the Bible that we have now, there was not dispute over it. People in the New Testament, the churches already knew what books they were reading. And by the time the Council of Nicaea came, it was, not, it was not a matter of an argument. It was just a matter of affirming what the churches already had. And then he ends, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Will be with your spirit. Amen. Here, he showed, just as he showed mercy on the slave and continues to help people. So he's telling him, may God continues to show grace and bless you. And blessed, and blessed are the merciful for they shall receive a for they shall receive mercy and glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.